Welcome to Get Rich Without Being a Bitch. This is the place to hear real and raw conversations about what it takes for female entrepreneurs to achieve financial success and live a rich life. I'm Vanessa Shaw, author of The Million Dollar Question and your hostess for this podcast. Good morning, Shoshana. You and I are going to have an amazing conversation today. Actually, I think it's going to be more of a journey and a journey into tapping into intuition as a practical tool to help us raise our performance, I think, in all areas of life. Um, Just before I introduced Shoshana this morning, we were chatting behind the scenes. I've got Shoshana French with me here today. And she is, you know, describe herself as an intuitive coach and trainer and consultant to very high performing executives, founders, CEOs of billion dollar, you know, firms, billion dollar and million dollar firms and businesses, and also to tech startups. So a very, very different place for us to be entering this conversation around intuition. And I'm just excited to start that today. So welcome, Shoshana. Thank you. I'm excited uh, for two reasons. One, because I love the name of your podcast. And then two, we had like a 10 minute conversation. You gave me this like one little tiny piece of coaching and I took it and ran with it and really exciting stuff happened, which I of course will share on the podcast because people know how phenomenal you are, but it was just a very simple, practical piece of advice you gave me and it changed some things. <laughs> oh, good. Now I'm totally intrigued. I'm like, oh, what did you do? Well, we'll come back to that. We'll, okay. we'll have that hanging in suspense. But okay. I'm curious, though, background to this, right? To Again, to be able to declare oneself as an intuitive coach and consultant, right, for sake of a title. How did you get into this? Uh, I started in a very metaphysical way. So I don't do the metaphysical thing as much now, but uh, I was trained when I was 18 by a group of women who are metaphysicians. For people listening to your podcast that are not familiar with metaphysics, it is all the things you would think. It's aliens and crystals and other dimensions and spirit guides and like uh, deep trans kind of meditation. So I was trained in all of that stuff when I was 18. And, um, what I like to say is that like, that's where it started, but then I would leave that little bookshop and go back to my classes where I was studying pretty critical right brain kind of things like sociology and gender studies and English and critical thinking and writing skills, conversations and like thinking about, and, you know, formulating ideas about literature and how it impacted society at the time it was written. And now, and those two things did not, did not mix very well together. So that's kind of how I started my journey was in metaphysics, but also with that tension of, you know, all of that woo woo stuff doesn't necessarily fit so super great in my regular life. And I'm not one or the other, I'm both. So how do I even make that work? So that's kind of how I started the journey. Took me a lot of years to, um, you know, start the business and actually claim doing that work and doing it professionally instead of as a party trick. (laughs) <laughs> right because it's kind of like I mean again I, a lot of questions already because let's face it a lot of that work is I like to think that it's becoming more mainstream today but the reality is it's I think it's more mainstream inside still limited circles right this Agreed. is still you know needs to be in the cl- closet right the, the closet spiritual guide or you know whatever those other parts of ourselves. but I'm just curious who starts looking at metaphysics at the age of 18. I mean, that's very young 
to even be embarking on that. So kind of what was going on for you that even had you curious and tapped into that back then? Uh, I was being guided for sure. Um, When I say guided, I mean like my intuition tugged me places. So when I was 16 in in high school, my senior year, I worked at at a pizza place and there was a shooting and the guy that shot people and the people who got shot were all people I knew and had worked with for two years. And it kind of like, it created kind of like a crook in the road or an, you know, like a, like it really changed my, my point of view of the world. And it even changed what I was considering doing with the rest of my life, because what I had thought I was going to do now didn't necessarily make sense. Right. And I thought I was going to do when I was in high school was be like an artist or, um, I've been a singer for, for a long time been a songwriter and play guitar and all that stuff and an artist. And I thought that's what I was going to do. But when this thing happened, it was, it kind of brought to the forefront that there are some things in the world that don't work super great. And what, what actually caused this guy to do that? What were the circumstances of that, of his life and of the other people and why they were all super young. I mean, the, they were all 18 year olds or 17 year olds who were getting ready to graduate high school. They're all people I knew. And so it really set me on a pretty hard left in life. And so when I got to college, I was really in that space of searching. I like Mm. went from being a seeker who found her answers in pretty black and white kind of, this is this religious book I believe in. These are the answers. They're all very black and white. I know everything fits within the universe fits inside of this very, like can put my hands around it. There was not a lot of unknown to me. Mm. And then everything became unknown Mm. and it kind of sent me off on this crazy journey of questioning everything. So that's how I ended up at 18 in this metaphysical bookstore with this woman who said, there you are. And, uh, I thought she was saying that because my friend had told her about me. Nope. She had had a dream. <laughs> We're going to get woo Vanessa. That's, she okay. had a dream. That's why I had to ask the question. It's like, no, no, you know, we don't normally like land in bookstores at 18 for this stuff. I'm no, like, okay, there's something else. So, okay. So you walk in there. You so I walk are. in the bookstore and this woman says, oh, there you are. Now at the time I didn't think much about it. She said, come in. I want to show you everything. And so she walked me around the store and I don't, the main thing that I remembered is that all of the things that she had in the store really sort of were, made me uncomfortable because in my, that life I was talking about as a, like from seven until about 16, when that happened, Mm. everything in my world fit in like a very neat package. And so these Mm. things she was showing me didn't fit in there Mm. and actually were kind of against these old learnings I had. And thankfully she had had this dream where in the dream, uh, what she would have called source source came to her and said, this girl's going to walk in when she walks in, teach her everything, you know? And so she did, and she pushed past my discomfort and she, um, gave me kind of like a structure to become a seeker really. Um, and sometimes I will admit, I miss having everything fit into a nice, neat package where you're like, this is wrong and that's right. And there's no gray. Um, black now and, everything black and white is an easy way out, right? You know, oh my not, gosh, not, it so let's is. not get into the nuances of, as you say, an awful lot of gray. Gosh, so much. Well, and it, you know, because anybody else I end up talking to that I actually like immediately fall in love with are the kind of people who know the more, the more questions you ask, the more you discover, the more questions you have. Mm. <laughs> and so it didn't actually it didn't shrink the world. It expanded it. And, uh, it taught me to trust this thing that I'd had my whole life. 
Um, and the word they used was the word psychic. Um, and that's the word that I use and the word that I claimed, even when I started my business, my original business card said psychic. Right. And, um, that's what I started. That's how I started doing the whole thing was from that point of view. But again, like I said before, it only like psychic only handled one part of who I am. Um, and mostly what people are looking for when they're looking for a psychic is predictive. Tell me how it's going to turn out work. And, um, a fundamental belief I have is that we are the authors of our own life. And so it doesn't actually make sense for me to do work where I'm telling people what to do. That doesn't like that as that actually is completely not in alignment with who I am. And mm-hmm. so I got rid of that word <laughs> about, I don't know, nine, 10 years ago after being in business for seven years, I got, you know, kind of changed everything, what people in the business world would call, I did a rebrand mm-hmm. and rebranded myself as an intuitive. I did the same work, but I used a different word. So it gave me a little more yes, room. To just, do diff- yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually fascinated by this. Cause I think you just said so many, just really, really, really interesting things there. As you said, like people go to a psychic, what is it that they're really going for? I believe, um, again, my kind of my beliefs around that, as you say, it's like we, they're looking for some certainty, mm-hmm. right? Answers, now, yeah. I, I like answers, as you say, like the path. I want to kind of know what's going to happen, right? It's like they're looking for some kind of certainty. My way of looking at that is they're looking for certainty outside of themselves, right? And, whoa, that's an awful lot of responsibility to put on another human being as well, right? Because, again, like, let's look at how messed up that really could be in the wrong hands as well. Um, And as you said, you know, I think a lot of that comes back to our life philosophy. We've got to understand the core life philosophy. Do we believe that life is happening to us Mm. or, you know, and like it's predetermined, and it doesn't matter what we do. It's like, mm. no, it's like, it's, it's written in the stars or wherever we'd want to say it, right? It's written in stone or the stars somewhere. And like, it's going to happen. Therefore, for me, I hear that as, well, I've actually got no power to change it. So why bother? It's just like, I'm going along like this leaf in the wind being blown here and there versus my belief system, which is very much around, I get to choose. I get to create, right? Mm-hmm. I'm taking, you know, I am the creator of my results, um, you know, of my destiny. There's an awful lot of it that I believe is fully within my power. And as I say, the caveat to that for me is, right, life's going to happen, right? It's not, you know, of course, because it's life and there's going to be those ups and downs, but largely I see myself as the creator of my future not the I'm just on this journey and it's and it's going to happen and I'm like waiting for the next thing to happen because for me that puts me in a very disempowered state so coming back to where I wanted to link that back in so that's kind of like the psychic part so now I'm kind of curious as to because by the way I would never in this case want to speak to like a well in my mind the psychic is like the crystal ball right hey this is going to happen right My belief system would lead me to believe that if somebody has sown that seed in my mind and I start to get attached to it, I will then create that. Right. Kind of unconsciously. So let's go to intuition then, Hmm. because I'd love for us to have, I love to define these things. When we look at psychic, what's your definition? Because I'm sure a lot of listeners have a very different definition of it. And then when we look at intuition, 
What's your definition? Let's get this out on the table so we can pick them apart. So uh, this is going to shock some people. I don't distinguish between those two things. They're the same. Okay. Um, the word uh, psychic is, uh, I can't remember what the exact meaning is. It comes from Greek, but it's the, it's like insight into being able to see before. Um, and that intuition when it's used well is like that. <laughs> uh, I've had clients who I've never used the word psychic go, wow, it's like you're psychic. And what they mean when they say that is it's like you have insight into something that hasn't happened yet. And when intuition is used well, that does, we are able to have insight into things that have not yet unfolded. So intuition to me, my definition is that intuition is a direct way of knowing or understanding or having insight into things without the necessary step of analyzing data. Analyzing data is not required. Okay. It does not mean that you forget data. But it does mean that you recognize that data quite often is contradictory. And so even if you have six coaches in front of you and they're all trying to sell you a program and each one is a completely different program, they all seem really good, right? And they're all promising something. But over here, you're like, I don't know which one. Intuition can also guide you to which one of these six or which or none of these six would actually be the support you need to fulfill your vision in your business or fulfill your vision in your relationship or in your health or whatever the case may be, whatever area of life. So intuition gives you insight into direct knowing into things that you don't need to do that whole analyzing, you know, pro and con list, dialing a friend, asking an expert. It's not required. Okay. Loving this. So let's, again, I'm going to pick that up. So I, I'm interested again that you said, oh, I actually know psychic. And it, because for me, psychic is like crystal ball. I'm walking behind like a, you know, red beaded curtain in a little shady back street room somewhere. And I get it, right. That's a very stereotypical image of this, right. And it's, I love that definition of insight into going with the example of somebody wants to, as you said, they've been interviewing perhaps different coaches and wanting to join a program or whatever it might be, right? Um, and we're using intuition. What does it, because we can't say what does it look like in that, in, you know, in that instance of choosing, what would be the, the felt experience when somebody would know that now they're making an intuitive decision versus a data-driven decision? Oh, that is the deepest question you could have asked, Vanessa. <laughs> leave it to you. That's what we're here like, for. Like, we could have literally a 60-minute conversation about that question. Okay, mm -hmm. I'll start simply. Data-driven decisions, the felt experience is that relief you get when you've answered a problem, when you fixed something, or when you're like, whew, I avoided a disaster. So I have personally picked programs, coaches, and even contractors from a place of there's this problem called, I don't have enough time to do my social media. I need to hire someone to do this for me. So I'm answering a, a question I have, but from a place of solving a problem. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm looking all at the data, you know, are they going to be able to do what I need? Are they going to be able to save me time? Am I going to feel that sense of relief that I need so that that way I don't have to do this thing I don't have time to do? That is a different sort of engaged conversation because at the end, of course, you feel relief because now you've answered your big problem. Mm -hmm. When you have an intuitive decision, when you make a decision from intuition, it takes into consideration the bigger picture, the vision, 
and it takes into consideration all the possibilities. So one of those possibilities, which in my case it was, actually, (laughs) you don't need to hire someone for social media. You need to adjust how you relate to social media. And I was like, oh, because I had it, right? Because of experts in my brain data, you need Mm -hmm. to post this many times a day to these social media platforms. It needs to be this kind of content. It needs to engage in this way. It was like strategy, strategy. So to to fulfill the strategy that experts had told me I needed to solve the problem called, I don't have the time to do that strategy. Mm -hmm. But when I use my intuition and I got curious about, well, actually, what is the bigger vision I have for my business and for my identity in the marketplace, right? Like Mm -hmm. what, who am I and how do I want that shared? When I tapped into that, it was like, no, you don't actually need to hire someone. Now, if I'm telling the truth and I'm being transparent and pulling back the curtain, I made the mistake and hired somebody Mm. and I hired them for six months and they didn't actually, they were not aligned with the culture of my business. They were not aligned with my voice. They were not a good fit. Not surprising because I didn't make the decision from intuition. I made a decision, right? Which the the word means to kill something off for something else. That's decide. I decided to hire someone. I did not tap in and see who would be a good fit. So all of us have done that. And that's the difference to me, the felt experience, when you have sorted something out using data, it feels like it's the right thing. And it's mostly up here in the brain. It's heady, right? It's it's very heady. It's cognitive. It's not engaging. I mean, would I be correct in saying difference between head and heart? Mm, I mean, that's a simplification simplification for me. Yeah, because in intuition, some people are oriented mentally. I'm an ori- I'm oriented mentally as an intuitive. Mm-hmm. So I like to connect dots and understand things. My husband, he's oriented emotionally. So he likes to deeply connect. That That's what drives him intuitively when he's connected. Body intuitives, they want to experience. They don't want to connect the dots and understand. They don't want to connect like on that emotional level and have that deep connection, what they want is to do and experience. Mm. So depending how you're oriented and then how your body translates, there's four ways of translation. I translate all four ways. Some people translate just one way. Like some people just know things. Some people feel things. Some people hear things. Some people see things like that doesn't look right. I don't know why that doesn't look right, but it doesn't look right. Mm. And I'm just going to trust that it doesn't look right. I'm going to say no, which when I hired this person for social media, uh, ignored my intuition. There was like a something that didn't quite feel right. And I thought it was like, oh, it's me. I don't like to let things go. I like to be large and in charge of everything. So that's why, that's why I'm having this resistance. Mm-mm, mm-mm, that's not actually what it was. It was a hesitation and a yeah. sense of this isn't a fit. <laughs> my yeah. nervousness was my intuition saying, stop, <laughs> don't do right. it. But it. <laughs> I didn't listen. So what I'm hearing there is actually, because the question was about, you know, like the felt experience, like, Mm -hmm. how do we know? Um, I know that I'm very in tuned with my body Mm -hmm. and emotionally, right? I can really, you know, I can, I can like dip out of my head and into my body, the felt experience very quickly. It's just something I've done for years and a lot of, a lot of my training. So I personally would be looking for the felt experience in my body right yep. it's like really how am I feeling about this so I am tapping into like energy if we like you know because it's, it's all energy right and it's the, an right. emotional response so for me 
for example, if I was looking at social media and I was, you know, and again, I, I would be paying attention to language, like what am I saying about it? Am I saying, like, does it feel pressure? Does it feel heavy? Does it feel needy? You know, all of that language. If in my body, I'm just like feeling completely flat and it's like, there's really, it's like, there's nothing really happening around it. For me, that's going to be a, this is not the right thing for me, or it's not the right thing for me now. But what I'm hearing you saying is that we've all got different access points into intuition. So what's actually important there is to really understand like what's our primary access point so that we can be then in tune with that deeper knowing. Yeah. So I talk to men and women both and teaching them, you know, as an intuition expert about how to understand that access point. And for some people, like our mutual friend, Alicia Huck. So Alicia, she's a knower, not a feeler. So something she gets knowings that she's always overwritten as random thoughts. That's actually how intuition communicates to her. She'll have knowings about things that like, it's not a felt experience for her. It's a direct knowing and understanding of something, but we're all built a little differently. There are you know, I teach 20 tools for recognizing your, your intuition communicating to you. And I have to, we have to adjust the tools I teach to people based on, you know, how their intuition works, because if you're a knower and I teach you what I call, um, body as a pendulum, and you're looking for a felt experience in the body, it won't work because mm. that's not actually how your intuition works. My husband felt experience every time he, he's a feeler right? And he's emotionally oriented. So not only is he a feeler, but he's also oriented emotionally. I'm a mind intuitive who hears and sees that's how my body translates. So when I was talking to this person that I ended up hiring, I could hear, I could hear in her voice that something wasn't matching up. And again, right. I let my ego be louder. And my ego was like, that's just you resisting getting help, Mm. which is very easy to misrepresent. Now that happened way back in February. And I will say that that doesn't happen all the time. However, I now have some, we now have some new, right? Because you take the data. Hello, you still want to use data. I now took that data called, oh, I ignored my intuition in hiring people. We took hiring out of my hands and we gave it to the CEO and the project manager because they don't hire based on liking people. I do. Yes. (laughs) So that's a personality trait that I have. And so now we know that. (laughs) And as a, as a team, we use, we sit down, we tap into what's the bigger vision and talk, have a conversation with simple spirit, the name of my business. All of us as a team have a little chat with simple spirit. And we ask like, based on the bigger vision and where we're headed, is this person we're considering hiring? Are they in alignment with the bigger vision and in alignment with our culture? And then it's very, very clear. It's very clear to my husband because it's a feeling. And it's very clear to me because I can literally hear in my head a very clear yes or a very clear no. Mm. So to me, it's like, because it's a hard skill and not a soft skill, there are intuition and being an intuitive decision maker. There are steps to take to become an intuitive decision maker, just like if you were going to get really in shape that's like a hard skill. And then you have to learn the right exercises to do. To me, this is the same thing. So I'm so it's glad not necessarily you know, I, simple. Yeah. yeah I, I, no, 
I mean, I, I think the concepts at times can sound simple, right? I think, you know, right. the important thing is these, these things aren't easy. And I love that you said, this is a hard skill because I want to come to the kind of clients that you work with. I used to, you know, my background was in emotional intelligence with executives, you know, kind of the, the world of peak performance, and emotional intelligence, and, you know, understanding, you know, cognitive. And that's why I probably refer to the head and the heart, because that's often how mm. we would kind of divide things up, you know, to, to try to simplify complex topics, right? Right. <laughs> um, and, of course, when we're working with organizations, these things are commonly referred to as soft skills, right? Hard skills are the technical abilities. Well, actually, I've never, you know, on the whole, I've actually never found people really struggling with their technical abilities, right? You know, on the whole, if they're good at them, they want to keep building them. So frankly, those are easy. You know, there's, there's a sense of easiness around the technical abilities because it's like, well, they've probably been trained in them and they've got a lot of background and there's, you know, there's their areas of interest. However, the things that are referred to as soft skills are way harder because A, that most, most, most of it is invisible, right? It's not like we can kind of touch it. And it's, you know, as you said, it exists outside of a traditional box that most of us have been exposed to. Um, I believe we actually lack role models as well, right? And or these conversations aren't as mainstream as they could be. Now, I know for well, I'm going to have listeners, you know, listening in from Europe. And if you are listening in from other parts of the world, um, this is not a place, you know, yeah, you might be going, oh, my gosh, Vanessa's really going woo and, you know, off on one over here. And I love me a bit of the woo, as a lot of the woo as well. I do believe it's an and and, right? These, again, other tools. Um, there's a lot out there that we don't understand. One of the things I've appreciated since coming to the States is that these conversations are certainly more out of the closet than they were in a lot of the circles I was operating in in Europe. Um, so when I was, you know, in my executive development work, coaching, frankly, was a closet conversation. You know, I was like, mm. a, I was considered a secret weapon for many of my clients who would <laughs> never, ever, you know, talk about, I know you're laughing, I'm like, really? I mean, over here, like you there's know, cultural we, difference. I get it. Yeah, it's a cultural difference. But seriously, right. So coming back to um, woo, let's call it intuition, right. For let's say, well, I just actually want to, I want to correct a perception because I don't, it, I, I think people really do think that intuition is woo. What I'm here to tell you is that, of course, you could take it to the woo place, just like mindfulness could be woo, but actually intuition is not woo at all. It's how our brains are designed. Our brains and our bodies are designed to scan the environment. It's how our bodies work. There has been a ton of research done not to recreate what people call ESP, extrasensory perception, psychic phenomenon. Mm -hmm. All of that has been hogwash, right? But a lot of research has been done and used by the military, quite frankly, to see how in intuitive decision-making is in fact a skill that everybody is born with, but mostly just like we said in the very beginning, when we, when we give our power over to, and to what we would call an authority, whether it's yeah. a teacher or our commanding officer or the CEO of the company, the CFO of the company, our parent, our spouse, our 
rules and regulations we learn to get by in life, whatever that authority is outside of ourselves, we stop listening to that innate wisdom we have. Now, I know I just use the word wisdom and wisdom could be associated with the woo, but I really challenge people to stop associating intuition and woo together because they're actually distinct. They are very distinct. To me, metaphysics is a beautiful thing. I am nuclear woo-woo, as my friend likes to say, but I'm also extremely practical and intuition is practical and intuitive decision-making is practical. So mm. I just want to say that because I actually, yeah, think- no, I'm glad you, I am glad you did. Cause listen, I mean, and it, it's kind of funny that I even put it in that bucket because I do believe that I tap into my own intuition a lot. I mean, let's look at the example of um, me coming here to the States. That was out, that was irrational, right? I had a successful business. I closed it down. I got my kids out of schools. I sold up a house, in, sold up a house, I can't even speak. I sold a house actually in turbulent times in an economy that was kind of going a bit crazy at the time. Um, and I moved to the States not knowing anybody with absolutely zero guarantees for the future. Um, very little plan actually in place, Shoshana, which is interesting. You know, very little plan for after I'd even arrived here. Yet... Yet, 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 I would say I, it was a calling. It was, you know, deeply this felt for me, this felt sense and deeper knowing that this was what absolutely what I had to do next. Absolutely what I had to do next. And again, we tried the whole pros and cons. We kind of went through the whole timing of it and like rationally it made sense for it to be a three-year decision and the kids would be older and my husband would have retired from the UN and everything and yet my intuition was like now. You know, so that was one of those, yeah, we went through the pros and cons. We wrote, we did all of this, right? And still I wasn't getting that answer because I was getting such a loud now right so when I made that intuitive decision thank you for giving me the language around that You're welcome. <laughs> thank you that intuitive decision um it all happened within 11 months you know to close down everything decision close down everything and actually move land in the states in my new home here in Scottsdale 11 months right it also happened very quickly um and and it's it is curious when I look back on that I felt I didn't have certainty for the future. I didn't, right? I didn't have a glass ball into what was going to happen like none of us do. However, I absolutely had certainty around the decision. That is key. I mean, I really, I never doubted the decision. I knew that there would be challenges because that's the way life works, which comes back to being practical, right? It's like my feet were firmly planted on the ground. I never, ever questioned that intuitive de decision. So thank you for giving me the You language. are welcome. You're welcome. I, you know, one of the things that gets me super excited about intuitive decision-making is examples like that, because you were asking the question earlier, what's the felt experience? It's that, it's the thing you just said. I was absolutely 100% clear about the decision and you know, these founders that I work with, if what I have them do and any of your listeners, even your European listeners, there was a, like, we all have that moment where, whether you want to call it an inspiration or whatever that moment is where all of a sudden we have this idea, right? Like whether it's, you know, like we notice that there's a problem in the marketplace and we're like, I have a solution for that. 
and I'm, I'm going to just go for it. And you start to mind map it out on a piece of paper. And all of a sudden you're picking up the phone and calling places to see if like to do the research, do these other ones exist? And you really, you start to formulate this whole entire thing inside of that inspired moment. That inspired moment is your intuition. It's your intuition. It, it's like that lightning strike, the muse, as Elizabeth Gilbert likes to call it. You can listen to the muse or not. Like I've talked mm. to so many founders who say, crap, like, have you heard of Turo? I had a thought for Turo like 15 years before it got started, but apps didn't really exist. But I had this thought, like, I wonder if people could rent cars from individuals, but it would all be done in one place. And I should have started it, but I didn't. And then Turo was born. Yeah. Like I've talked to that all happens to us, right? We, the muse hits us. We have the idea. We're connected to a bigger vision of what's possible. Idea comes, we listen and do it or we don't. Or we don't. Yeah. Or we don't. And that, that for me is the thing about intuitive decision-making that makes it the hard skill mm. because it, because everyone, I mean, I have met DOD guys, like guys that jump out of planes, you know, Navy SEALs. Uh, people who are doctors. Uh, my dad's a biker and even talks about it. Like all of the founders I talked to, I have not met one single person. And I've talked to thousands and thousands of people who don't have at least one clear recollection of an intuitive decision they made. At yeah. least one. At least and one. if they have that one and they remember it, we can build on that because I can say, well, what was it about that that had you trust that decision? What were you thinking the moment before? Because when you can get reconnected to like what I like to call your bigger why or that inspiration moment, you can use that as like your North star to tap into are the, you know, are the targets that you're creating are the, you know, way that you're moving in the marketplace are the new things you're launching. Um, you know, is the new, uh, like I had a client who was trying to decide if he wanted to open another, um, satellite office in California, like all of those things, is it in alignment with the bigger vision? And some of that stuff sounds very much like, like coaching or consulting about, yeah. you know, it, it's, you're just using another skill that you have and yet another tool to help you make a decision to actually like be in the place to, and then trust your decision. So to me, it's, it's, un, it's unwiring or rewiring, I guess we could say, like, I know something you're really inspired by, which is people trusting themselves. Mm-hmm. And like trusting their expertise and trusting that they know what they're doing. To me, intuition is a, is a hard skill to learn to trust yourself or to trust when you don't know. Yeah. Like recently trust. I was like, I actually don't know. I'm going to have to find someone who knows what I don't know. And I did, I was like, oh, there they are. Great. Mm -hmm. So good. There's, there's just so much in it. So I am curious and let's, let's talk about some of, well, let's actually, let's just go back a little bit because obviously, obviously this is the, you know, get rich without being a bitch podcast. Right. And we yeah. also like to talk about money here. Mm -hmm. Somebody traditionally with, you know, that is in your line of work, let's say, um, probably struggled to monetize. Right. So it's, it's like, one of two ways. They're either really rich and famous or they're broke. <laughs> right? It's exactly. not like anything in the middle. It's like there's not a lot of in between, right? Mm -hmm. And again, we you know we'll know like names and celebrity names or anything, but otherwise it kind of goes into the what's like the starving artist type category, right? Totally. Um, so what was your journey around, you know, like 
owning that this as you said like you know the like the shift from psychic to intuitive owning as well that you know actually this is something that I'm really going to bring out into the world and and help people tap into their intuition what was the journey that you actually had to go on on the money side of things so uh background in my family single mom in the 80s divorced three kids uh, we had school lunch program, which means you get free lunches. And we were on, you know, we used to get like government help with food at home and we went to the church and got bread. So we were, we were below middle-class. We were poverty when I was a kid and thankfully because of charity and government assistance and because of the help of our family, we had a great place to live. We were very, very blessed. That's not always the case. People don't always have generous family. So I grew up thinking that like money's hard being broke is normal. Hustling is what's required. And if I had money in my pocket, it would burn a hole literally. Mm. Cause when I would get like my, like I did babysitting, I started babysitting when I was 11 to make money and I had quite a thing going and I was really good and I entertained the kids. And so I made pretty good money when I was a kid being a babysitter until I had my first job at 15 and three months. Cause that's when you could get a work permit in the United States when I was a kid. And I had basically babysat and made money till I was 15. That money was fun money. So it it's the money I used to buy pizza and movies for my brother and sisters and I on a Friday night. I mm. used it to spend on other people, right? Because in my world, it was like being an adult means doing what I want, how I want, anytime I want it. I had a very, you know, young <laughs> relationship yeah. towards being an adult and a very young relationship about money. So fast forward, right? There I am. I come out of college, I get my first real job and, and it's like still, you know, I remember my first job and I was making real money. I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing, but totally naive about money in general. Mm -hmm. And I would spend every cent that was in my check. Mm. I could have like saved thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Did none of that because I spent, because my relationship to money was like, you hustle for it. And then you spend it and enjoy it because tomorrow it's going to be gone because that's yeah. how money works. Yeah. So, uh, you know, fast forward again, there I am. I do, uh, I, with my friends and I, we put together this thing called Monarch Migrations. We're going to go to Europe and we're going to do women's circles. We have all this stuff set up. I lie to get there because I didn't really have any money saved. And I get stuck in Almeria, Spain, which is about an hour and a half due east of Granada. Not the nicest place. No one speaks English. It's mostly Spanish and French and some Moroccan, some Berber. I don't really speak Spanish all that well. Mm. And I got stuck there and had to have someone save my behind. They had to buy me a ticket to fly out so I could get home to the US. I came home with my tail between my legs and like the recognition that I was done being broke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I had had really good jobs. It wasn't like I hadn't had money. It wasn't I just the money spent wasn't every... coming in. You yeah. just weren't keeping it. There yep. it went. I was focused on making money, not, not having right, yes. wealth. Yeah. So I uh, came back, was in a coaching program. And that's when I started my business. She said, the way to get ahead is to have multiple streams of income. But also in the process, we read, you know, kind of like think and grow rich, rich dad, poor dad, um, your money or your life, uh, you know, prosperity consciousness. We did kind of all the big mm. things right in this money group. And what I started to piece together was I don't know how to, I don't trust myself with money. And mm. so I went on like a money cleanse, which was, I lived by cash for 18 months. So I had no bank account. 
and I had envelopes and I had cash. And when the cash in the envelope was gone, it meant no groceries, no gas. Like it was, I had to go that way with it. And it, it just brought an awareness or presence to money that I just had never had. Because mm-hmm. while I knew when I was growing up, we were poor. I didn't know what poor looked like. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I don't know how much money my mom made. I knew much how things, I knew how much things cost, but I didn't know how much was left over. My mom didn't teach me about budgeting because she did it to be able to feed three kids on what she made with the supplement of other things, but I didn't know. So anyway, so I start my business and, you know, I've had it open for two years and then I go to the millionaire mind intensive and I'm like, you know, in this 3000 person room, T Harv Ecker and start asking this question, which is well, what's wealth. I literally have no idea. I'm like, cause my brain was wealth looks like having a lot of money, a lot of cash mm. in my wallet, in my hand, in my bank account, but that's not actually what wealth is. I didn't know that. Cause I never experienced wealth. And so when I started my business, it was like, how can I make more money? So I'm not broke. And that's Mm -hmm. what it was until, I mean, gosh, for until 2012. And then I was in a business course called influence ecology, which is one of the best business courses I ever did. And the, the creator of it said to me, you are on this pathway where there's only, and this goes back to what you said, there's not, you're on a pathway where there's only two directions to go. One is you can become a famous, a famous psychic. You're charismatic. People like you. You seem not weird. So I think you could probably do it. Not weird. That's such a great compliment, isn't it? Right. Thank you. I'm like, I am very weird, but I'm okay with it. Uh, Or you could go this other way, which is you're going to have to discover an offer. You're going to have to create and formulate an offer to give to people that identifies you as different in the marketplace. And some of that languaging I just had never had before. Mm. Prior to that moment, all I did was one-on-one sessions, one off. That was it. Like people would come in, I would do a reading with them. I would help them kind of, it's, it's like a form of coaching, but it's intuitive, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like my formulation of the sessions I did back then. So I created this thing called mastering intuition. I was like, let me offer this. It was a three month program where I trained people to trust their intuition. Like, here we go. That program, when I originally created it, I charged a thousand dollars to meet with people four times a month for three months. And it was a big deal because prior to that, I got an hour, people got an hour of my time and it was like a hundred dollars. So this was like a thousand dollars all at once. Like, I was like, this, like, this felt like 10 times. I was like, oh my God. However, you were giving at least 10 times more, right? <laughs> I was like, wow, this is really different. And so then, you know, how learning goes, it's like, can you point to one thing? No, things build on each other. Mm. Right. So then I noticed, oh, I'm using words that other people use. And now people are complaining about my pricing. Oh, that doesn't work. And so I just, it moved me all the way to this moment that happened last year. So, you know, I've been growing myself inside of being, teaching people intuition, offering retreats sometimes, but mostly one-on-one. And then at about September last year, after COVID happened, I had 400 new clients last year. And I was doing 18 client appointments a week. And I was at the top of what could be considered the one-on-one game, like the top of it, like as much money as you could make at that level. And I was exhausted. I was exhausted. And um, I couldn't, like, I was at the, you know, like the ceiling of what I could offer. So then we started this process of scaling the business. It began in December and we began to create recurring revenue. Like, a, I mean my business model right now is 
a 180 from my business model last year. And I didn't realize all the things you have to change when you scale. We had to rebrand. We needed a new website. We had to have a new, new systems for tracking people, new ways of doing coaching, like the coaching I offer, new pricing, all those things. So on a call with you, it was like, we just met up because we're in the same networking group. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of that call, what you told me, which I just had never heard before, you said you are sitting on a gold mine. And I was like, what does she mean by that? And like, I could feel it, right? As you're saying felt experience, it felt true, but I did not know what you meant. And then you said like the simplest, you're like, can I pour into you? And I was like, pour into me. Oh my gosh, that's so nice. No one ever does that. Yes, please. That sounds great. And you said, what you your pricing for your one-on-one work is too close to your group work. It it diminishes the value of your one-on-one work. Mm. And that's all you said. I've had a coach tell me for three and a half years, you have to increase your prices. And I kept resisting it, but you just said this really like practical, simple, direct, right into my intuition. This is what you have to do. And so I did, I doubled my prices right after Yay. that, right after our conversation. And what happened? Oh, more people started to register into the group programs. Of course. I was like, oh my gosh, like yeah, literally. And yeah. it's worthwhile saying to people listening, like my, it's not that my, cause you're probably like, oh, she's professional intuitive. Why didn't she listen to her intuition about increasing her prices? This is a good way. This is a good intro into the reasons we don't listen to our intuition. My, my ego was like, people will stop working with you. Your business will dry up and you will fail. Like that's, that was the pathway that my brain took. And every time I've ever tried to tried important word to say tried, can't try, but every time I would try to increase my prices, that would happen. Like it would be fulfilled. Yeah. And so you this were time, creating it, right? Again, it's like that, you know, we, we then go and create it. That's the piece. So that, I mean, that's, that comes back to where I was saying, like, we are the powerful creators yes, of our own universe. Because as you say, we we go and, you know, we believe that, then we create it, then we get the results, then it gets reinforced, and then it becomes a, see, Vanessa, I'm right and you're wrong. I mean, that's really where we go to with this. Mm-hmm. I'm right. I know what's going to work. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I think the big difference there, though, again, it's back to language, right? And that when those things can really land, um, and we could go off on a whole whole subject. In fact, I probably need to do a whole podcast just around raising prices because it's something that we do so much of. The reality is, you know, it's really easy to say, oh, you should raise your prices. But that's a very, again, it's a very cognitive piece. And it's like, there's no substance to that. There's, And I think what I'm hearing that resonated in what I said is I got you in the heart of your work, which is you're diminishing the value that you bring to the one-on-ones, which is a way more intimate relationship. It's going to be way more custom. It's access to you, which is in of itself very valuable because we've now removed all the distractions and so when we really look at you know you're you're actually the one here diminishing your value and how it shows up is through your pricing and by the way we can't expect other people to value you and your services and what you're bringing to the table if you haven't actually started to value it for yourself at the level that you want others to value it. So that was wrapped up <laughs> in that message, which is a very different message to Shoshana, you need to raise your prices. 
which is just going to get, as you say, resistance and defensiveness because it, it lacks everything else that needs to go around it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm so glad you did that. Yeah, me, me too. It has made invitations for my work really easy. It's just, it's just made it really, it's just a very simple conversation. Here's how I work with people. This is my group offer. This is my one-on-one offer. And then people get to choose for themselves. So it, and again, uh, can we stop there as well? Cause this is just a really important again, yeah. listeners, you know, yeah. when we start to really tune in, you know, to again, whatever language it is, you know, that intuition, that knowing alignment, mm-hmm. I mean, all of yes. these different things, right. The soft, hard skills. Cause a lot of them mm-hmm. are the, what I'm going to call the soft, hard skills. Right? Yes. Here's the flip side of that. And I actually get the goosebumps here because you just said it. This is where life actually gets easier. You just mm-hmm. said it. I was just on a call this morning and we were talking, guess what, about pricing, a brand new client in our elite program. And, and, and the beautiful thing was she's on Zoom. And I actually did say to her, I said, I'm actually sending you our Zoom recording afterwards. And I want you to go back and listen to it because you are going to actually see your body language and how you were responding to certain parts of this conversation because you were so uncomfortable. Now she's wise enough to recognize her own discomfort and to know that that was a place that she absolutely has to lean into. But she used the same words and she just went, oh my gosh, Vanessa, like this is gonna be so much easier. And that is the gift that's right on the other side of this. Like it doesn't have to be that complicated. All of a sudden there's greater ease. And I think that that's just a you know, beautiful way to start to wrap this up. It's like when we, when we do, when we tap into that deeper knowing, that intuition, mm-hmm. we've got new skills, right? That we're, that we're bringing to the table. And ultimately, don't we want a certain new level of ease in our lives and business? Because if yeah. we're hustling, as you said, in the early days that you had to, as many of us did to get a business off the ground yeah. and all the mistakes that we make, that's fine in the early stages, but, you know, we're about growing and scaling businesses beyond self, building teams, you know, really building a business, you know, not just right. a freelancer thing or a, you know, solopreneur right. show. It has to get easier. Some things have to get yes. easier and we must be solving new problems. Otherwise it's going to feel hard. It's just going to yeah. feel hard the whole time. The, the question I would pose to people listening, um, whether you relate to yourself as someone who's intuitive or not, is that we often make our targets and goals of our year based on what we think, like what we think is a reasonable based on last year's, whatever we're like, well, a 10% increase would be. And so then we set our goals, right? So this is for those of you listening, like as you're looking at 2022, before you set your goals, get yourself back in touch with your your bigger why of why you started your business in the first place. And when I say that, I mean, take a moment and remember that inspired, what was it that inspired you to start your business? It, even if that inspiration now is not present, like you started it to be free to have like time freedom and you now have time freedom. So you're not necessarily present to the inspiration of that, but take a moment to get present to the inspiration of your bigger why, and then set your targets and goals. Cause all the people I work with who've set their targets and goals inside of, you know, data-driven decision, they often have to apply force to get themselves to do it. And when I was applying force to increase my prices, which was a should, I should increase my prices 
because if I don't, I'm not going to make enough money to be able to blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. When my, like your coaching landed and then I intuitively tapped in, like I tapped into my bigger vision and it was like, well, duh, like that's completely in alignment. And then every moment after that, like yesterday, I sold my largest package in the history of my business. And the reason I was, (laughs) and the reason I was able to do that was because the woman on the phone could see for herself that the investment in herself and in her business to do that work one-on-one was a better fit than the group work. And it was not about the cost. It was about the, the, how it works for her, you know, like what actually worked for her. And that wouldn't have happened for sure. It would have been a very different conversation for me and for her, if I had been in the place of forcing myself to increase my prices, because when I force myself, then I'm logically looking for the reasons. If someone asks me why it costs that, oh, if I'm intuitively aligned, there's no, I don't need the reasons why I'm just really yeah. clear. It's a yes. Yeah. Uh, this, this is just such a good conversation. Um, you are reminding me though, I mean, again, we, we, and we listen going off on tangents, we call it a lot of this value-based pricing as well, right? At the end of the day, it's, you know, really tapping into the value that you're bringing to the table, the value that's going to be there for the clients. You know, certain clients will perceive a much higher value in that one-on-one very custom experience and it fits with their, you know, their schedules, what they want, the intimacy, all of those things, right? So again, it becomes an easy yes. I think you've, again, articulated it beautifully, though, when people are still logically feeling that they need to defend their prices. That's the piece. It's like, no, we, we haven't really tapped into, we're not owning the value and, we pro- and we, we're not building a bridge with our clients around the real value proposition for them. Because I haven't, Shoshana, I have not had a conversation for, I'm just trying to think honestly, to go really honestly on this, to have to defend my prices. I mean, it must be eight or nine years. I mean, it has to be. I honestly can't remember. I do remember in the early days of being in business though, doing the calculations and with the amount of hours and the hourly rate that they would be expecting. But I, I absolutely do remember that. And that's not a bad place for a starting place to actually engage the logical mind. But it's so interesting now that, um, and I have actually just gone through this again. I, I work with still a handful of private clients. I love working with them. And again, I practice what I preach. I needed to raise my fees as well because I also get in demand for that private work and it doesn't always fit, you know, with everything else that we've got going on. Mm. And you know what? The more I raise my fees right now and the more I'm in alignment with that and the people that I feel really called and, you know, driven to work with, the responses I'm getting so much nowadays is, oh, that's exactly what I expected. Like that's like, it's like, it's an easy yes, right? Whereas before these things would have been the, oh my gosh, is is somebody really going to say yes to that? So I think that's just, you know, a really powerful way for us to understand like how aligned are we with our services and our pricing? Because that is how easy it really can be. I want to say like one last thing that does not, just because it's so related to your podcast title, which is what like the, the mind switch that happened and continues to happen for me, like the deepening understanding of it between 
having more money and then having wealth and what wealth is being rich, right? Mm. The, the thing that I've learned, which has been really, really valuable over and over and over again, is that people value different things. And so when, when I look at how do I want to design my business? How do I want to design my life? It has to be around the things that I value. And so like the, my intuition can guide me, but it can only guide me once I'm really clear what I want it to guide me in. It's, it's directed by what my beliefs are. So when my beliefs were about making more money, so I wasn't broke, my intuition led me to that. I did make more money, but now that my now that my values are about wealth and legacy, like leaving money for my, we don't have children, but we have nieces and nephews, Mm -hmm. like having sufficient money to leave for them and to create a legacy for, for people and a legacy to leave in the world. My intuition's guiding me towards that because that now is my focus versus making more money. Of course I want to make more money. That's fun but it really is about this bigger thing about wealth. And so that's a whole other conversation, but I, that's the real switch in my perception around money that shifted. And then now that meant that my intuition was guiding me in a different way and still does. Well, and again, uh, you know, I think it is a kind of a great place to leave. This is, you know, you got needs met right in the early days, the need was to not be broke. (laughs) <laughs> and you solved and the solved that problem by the way nothing wrong with that right it's no. like okay now i'm not going to get stuck in spain or anywhere else again and i can right. i can get myself out of there and i can pay to get myself out of there nothing wrong with that a lot of places we've got to start there once we've got those needs met and this is the place that i love to really look and kind of work it's now what do we want right? It's a very different conversation. A lot of people, again, are, you know, getting stuck with, well, I've got my needs met. I don't need anything else. No, technically you don't. If you've got a roof over your head and you've got food and you've got water and you've got, you know, those things going on. No, you're right. You don't need anything else. I love the conversation though. Like, what do you want? And when we come, you know, to money, Money is a great tool for creating, you know, new possibilities and new experiences. So to your point, you know, when we think about wanting to leave that as a legacy to some people that we love, that's going to open up some new opportunities for them. If they are, I would say caveat is if they get some education around, right, (laughs) not just spending it and, and like putting it on their pizza budget or whatever they might want to do with it, right? Um. So I, you know, again, money needs a direction and we need the clarity of that and it will evolve. As we evolve, it will evolve. Shoshana, I would love to close just a quick couple of questions. Oh my God, I mean, we've really, I mean, we've, we've kind of, you know, done this lovely journey. I knew it was going to be intuitively, I felt it was going to be that journey. I'm going to be so conscious around my language around this now as well, which is really, really fun. Um, And I'm glad that you, you know, I'm glad that we got into that discussion around, you know, intuition isn't part of the woo and there's a lot more science and practical because that as well feels right for me. Um, And I was lumping it in, in, in in incorrect category. So I really appreciate that distinction. Just a couple of quick questions. Um, fill in the blank. Living richly today for you means what? 
spaciousness in my schedule, like the freedom to do what I want to do with whom I want to do when I want to do it. Mm. Yes. Time freedom. Yes. Yeah. Best $100 you've spent recently and why? <laughs> um, upgrade in an airplane to be uh, with extra room for my husband and I. He's six foot three. He's a big guy. And uh, it was really lovely. That extra $50 for each of us to have that extra room with our legs. And it was like, it felt pretty as spacious as you're going to get in a plane. Yeah. I was going to say, but it's spaciousness again, right? I, mm -hmm. yeah, I love it. It's I love one it. of my five core values is spaciousness. <laughs> yeah. I love spaciousness as well. I often claim to being like claustrophobic <laughs> and I, I love me an upgrade. <laughs> you know, book, book or podcast that's been highly influential for you. Um, uh, book or podcast, um, a book that I have been reading and then rereading, uh, recently that I love is a book called influence by Rock Saldini. Robert Saldini. Yeah. And, um, it's to me, it's about, yeah, it's really, it's a very influential book for me. It just helps me better understand, um, how am I influenced and how do I unintentionally influence people and just bring more consciousness to it? Cause I'm not interested in, um, convincing people of things, but you can do that using influence, even when you don't recognize it. It's so. an excellent book. I think it should be, it's in my success library behind me. I believe Robert Cialdini actually is from Arizona. I believe he is here in, really? in Arizona state university. I'm put that on live. Um, anybody hears that and I'm wrong, let me know, but I do believe he's actually teaches still here at the university. Brilliant. Um, it's a brilliant book. Of course, I, I'm thinking I know the answer to this one now, but perhaps I don't. Um, you feel the calling to your next level. And I know that you are up-leveling massively right now as well. COVID was a huge gift for you because people were really looking for those extra, like different ways, right? Of like, what, what can they access, especially in a pandemic? So you're feeling the calling to your next level of leadership and you notice that you're scared. What's the next thing you do? Hmm. Uh, I would, it's like always what comes to me is two things. One, my husband, who's also the CEO of the company. When I feel scared, uh, I have a conversation with him. Um, because, because of who he is, he's very, he grounds me into reality. Mm. He actually did that recently. Um, when I doubled my prices and I felt like <laughs> yes. he did that for me. Um, and then if that doesn't work, uh, then I, I'm a big believer in energy work. I call one of my amazing energy practitioners and I get some work done and it shifts whatever contraction I'm feeling and loosens me up. Mm, beautiful. And that was me thinking, oh, I'm going to go straight to my intuition. <laughs> I'm sure that plays a part in it, right? But again, it's oh like yeah. My husband is really intuitive. So it's sometimes if, when I feel contracted, I need somebody else's intuition. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I get, I get that. That's why I love it because we've often got these tools and we might be teaching them and putting them out in the world. But the truth is we can't do this alone, right? We mm -hmm. need, we need uh, other people, you know, that's how we work. And as you say, liberate ourselves and get that help. Yep. Something you wish you were better at today. Uh, time management. Hmm. Uh, I get everything it when I'm not busy, it's not a big deal, but as busy as I am right now, uh, time management. <laughs> oh, 
Just keeping it real here, right? What's on your bucket list that you'd like to achieve in the next three years? Okay, I'm speaking it here aloud outside of my small circle. Uh, Uh, Go, go, go. Here we go. Uh, I'd like to be on the Today Show talking about my book, The Intuitive Blueprint. Oh, I love that. Let's get that out there. And then what is something you're deeply grateful for today? Uh, My husband, deeply grateful. He's the best human I know. Mm, mm. I knew you were going to say that. That one, I really did know that you were going to say that. It was like, I I got that hit before you said it. What a Mm. blessing. What a blessing um, to have, you know, powerful women supported, well supported by their partners. I know you Mm -hmm. you and I, that could be another conversation for another day, but my husband actually does work for me and for us in the Business Growth Academy and has done for quite some time. Um, And I'm very, very grateful for that. Shoshana, I am so grateful for our conversation today. This has been delightful. I've learned a lot. Uh, I know many of our listeners are going to be learning a lot as well from this conversation. And we're going to make sure that we've got all of you you in the show notes, ways to get in contact with you. Uh, This is most definitely something I would really recommend for our listeners to tap into, right? The power of tapping into, understanding. I mean, I've learned today, we've got different access points into our own intuition and it is there for all of us, right? It's a tool, it's never gonna go away. It's something that we can always, always use. Um, I love tools, technologies, if you wanna call them, that stand the test of time, right? This is not a fad, this is like, it's always there it's human and it's within us so very grateful to you today Shoshana and look forward to continued conversations thank you so much for everything you've shared today this was the journey you promised thank you it's really fun and really fantastic thank you for having me on